All right, while you're clapping, let me get a selfie. You know, it's like everything else. If you don't have the video, it didn't really happen, right? I walked into the bathroom to find my mom down on her knees, face buried in the urinal. And I said, Mom, let's go have dinner. And she looked at me and she goes, well, I got to finish this bathroom and the one on the West Wing before we can go. And I said, why are you doing that? She's, well, I, th this is my job. I said, yeah, but why are you doing that? She said, you know, I dropped out of high school, son. This is the best job I'll ever have. I said, no, Mom, that's a lie. It's a story you've been telling yourself. And the worst part is you've chosen to believe it. Well, the Air Force shipped me off to Honduras. I spent five months down there, and while I was there, I got a phone call. There's only one phone on the base that airmen, enlisted airmen, can use, and so I had to run about a mile to get to the phone. My aunt called me. She had never called me at work before that day and had never called me since. But on that day, she called me to say, you know that conversation you had with your mom? It broke her heart. And I'm thinking, here I am 3,000 miles away from home. What can I do about it now? And feeling like a real heel. She said, it challenged her, though. We decided to go back to school and get our GEDs. And I said, yes. She said, but the, but the continuing education guy wouldn't let her get a GED. I'm like, what do you mean wouldn't let her get a GED? She said, no, he told her that her school scores were high enough that if she would just apply herself and get a high school diploma, he would work to help her get some scholarships to go back to college. And if she would get a teaching degree, he would bridge her employment as a janitor toward her teacher's retirement. My mother graduated from college with a degree in psychology and English, got her teaching certificate the same month she turned 50. She went on to spend the next 15 years in the Challenger High School with all these kids who had the same story she had. How many of you know that story? I'm a high school dropout. I've always been in trouble. I'm never going to succeed with my life. My life is going to be over. We heard the same story earlier. But see, these kids ran into something different. They ran into my mother, who said, I'm not buying that story. In fact, you need to change that story. And for 15 years, she rewrote the stories of those kids who then went on to graduate, some to ROTC, some to military academies, some to incredible lives. One of them, in fact, is the director of nursing at Georgetown because of my mother saying, I'm going to change my story. How many of you would like to change your story? I find the challenge that we have when it comes to telling stories is... We have an illusion, hard truth. Nobody cares about your story. Nobody cares about your story. And if you balance what Raul has said with what Brandon has said, you know why that's true. In March of this last year, the house that we've been leasing for almost five years, we're about to sign our five-year renewal. The guy decides I'm selling the house. I can make more money on it. Bad timing for him, sorry. But that left us without a house. So we scrambled in less than 90 days. We found a house. We moved in March to Granbury, Texas. Nice little quiet lake town. Cool little town. The house we moved into was only two years old. A barn dominium built brand new. The guy did some phenomenal work. I think he missed a couple of spots though. Because in the bathroom, although it's floor to ceiling tile, ceramic, beautiful tile, in the bathroom where the shower is, it's big enough my wife and I can get in there and do jumping jacks together. We don't, but we could. But it has no shower door. 
and no place to put a shower curtain. And so I had this constant fear. I'm going to step out one day and my old feet are going to slip out from under me and I'm going to be found by the EMTs laying flat on my back, butt naked, (laughs) embarrassed as they drag my fat naked self out the door. I had a problem, a fear, but it was a problem. So I find on the side of the road, believe it or not, a nice shower door, tempered glass, beautiful, perfect. We cleaned it up. It looks great. And I went to Home Depot and I said, um, don't ask the young guys, ask the old dude. I asked the old dude, how do I put that shower door into the ceramic tile? He said, well, you need the metal trim around it. You're going to have to drill some holes. And I went, that's a problem. It's ceramic tile on concrete. I'm afraid the minute I hit it with a drill bit, it's just going to snap. He said, probably, unless you use a masonry bit. Let me pause for a second. Here's the truth you may not know. Scam likely. Who cares? Here's the truth you may not know. I don't know a man who collects drill bits just because he likes drill bits. Raise your hand if you're that guy. Because I've never met that guy. Collects drill bits? I collect Hot Wheel cars. I don't collect drill bits. I've never bought a drill bit because I went, ooh, I just have to have a new drill bit. It's not like women in shoes, I promise you. So when this guy said to me, you've got to have a special drill bit to drill through the masonry and through the concrete to install the glass door, I said, okay, I'll buy. And he led me through the store to the masonry drill bits, and I paid $20 for one drill bit. Not a box, not a set, not a drill, one drill bit. Let me tell you what this hard truth is right here. Your story is a drill bit. Nobody collects them. Nobody wants them. Here's what they want. They want to know if your story can solve their problem. I didn't want to be fat and naked laying in the bathroom floor when the EMS showed up. The solution to my problem, though, started with a drill bit that could drill through masonry and concrete. You have the same stories. See, the challenge I find, though, is that there's really four steps to do what I call telling better stories better. And those four steps are, number one, you've got to collect the right stories. So you've got to story craft. You've got to figure out which story means the most to the people you're about to talk to. And here's reality. All of you as coaches, all of you as speakers, teachers, and trainers, all of you have something specific that you want them to learn. The story isn't what you want them to learn. It's the horse that gets them there. So you've got to choose a story and looking out at your crowd, understand, well, they don't get what I was about to tell, so let me shift that story. It doesn't change my point, doesn't change my outline, doesn't change my signature talk. It changes the message to the audience in front of you. And so for every one of those stories that you have, you should have a backup. I told a story when I competed in the World Championship of Public Speaking called Daddy's Girl. And in that story, I said all the things that were relevant to a father and his daughter. Any fathers in here? Any fathers with daughters? Any fathers with daughters who also have sons? How many would agree they are not the same? I have two of each of those and ten that call us Lolly and Poppy. And the boys and the girls, they don't grow up the same. I don't care how many genders we expose, they are different. And so as we raised our kids, those stories became different. And as I relate those stories to daddy and daughter, father and son doesn't matter. And here's what I found. I spoke in front of an audience of 1,500 people and all the boys were gone. They couldn't care less. 
It's a drill bit to them. They don't want a drill bit for that. They were looking for a wood saw. Whole different set of problems, whole different solutions. So I had to tell a different story to them. So I changed the story. The point was the same. What I learned from my kids has changed my life. But the story itself had to change. So here's major point number one. Make it a memorable moment and not a memoir. Would you like a demonstration of what I mean by that? What if I told you I can connect? We've, we've heard know, like, and trust. We've heard target your audience, which starts with understanding the demographic and who you're talking to, right? What if I told you I could build know, like, and trust in 90 seconds or less? Would you believe me? Do I need to demonstrate or are you just going to take it on face value? So I pulled up to the gas pump. I'm filling up my SUV. Anybody got an SUV? That takes a minute. So as I'm filling up my SUV, this little minivan pulls up on the other side. The driver steps out. She's adorable. Perfect little hair, perfect little pantsuit, perfect little fingernails, perfect little shoes. She walks back to put gas in the van. And I realize there's a ridge where her wedding ring's supposed to be, but there's no ring there. My eyes scan forward and I look in the side window and I see two toddlers strapped in car seats. One of them has shoes on the wrong feet. The other one has no shoes on, but the socks don't match. There's Cheerios everywhere, hair everywhere. I look back at her and she looks at me. And when our eyes meet, I see tears just streaming down her face. And I looked her in the eye and I said, um, I was raised the only son of a single mom. And then I married one. Can I pray for you? Know, like, and trust. No is about transparency. If you're not willing to be transparent and grow, then no one will know you enough to know whether or not they can trust you. Like is not about, hey, let's be friends, let's go grab a beer. It's about we have common ground. And trust is the byproduct of those two things. Now think about it from this standpoint. The woman at the gas pump had known me for how long? A minute or so. But she knew what I knew about her day. Now, here's what I didn't know. What I didn't know is, did she get up this morning and forget her wedding ring? She's about to go call her husband and say, bring my ring to work. My wife does that on a regular basis. By the way, Sunday, 29 years for us. Give that brave woman a hand. I don't know if she walked in on him with somebody else last night and threw the ring in his face and took off with the kids. I also don't know if maybe she's on her way to the hospital to identify the body from an overnight car accident. I have no idea. Here's what I do know. For the majority of my life, I watched my mom every day getting her butt kicked by life. And then I married a woman who, for the first year we were together, was raising a little four-year-old redhead who later became my redheaded stepchild. And she was getting her butt kicked by life. And I looked at this woman in that moment... And I said, I see hair, Cheerios, shoes, socks, tears. She's getting her butt kicked by life. I recognize that moment. I don't have to know everything about you. I've just got to be observant enough to know what your pain is. And then insert myself in a way to say, I see your pain and I raise you a solution. Can I pray for you? We don't have to tell the whole life story to get there. Now, write this one down real quick because I'm about to jump past it. We started a DJ business by accident in 2005. I'll tell you the story another time if you'd like to know how we accidentally started a DJ business. But we did what everybody else does. We wanted merch. 
We wanted to have branded stuff with our name and our logos on it. And so I thought, well, the cheapest way to do that, because I'm not really sure what our brand and our logo is yet, is I'll make my own. So I ran to Walmart and I bought some blank white t-shirts and I went to Walmart and I bought some iron-on transfers and I went home with my steam iron and I made crap. <laughs> I made crap. The big white shiny box around the outside of it. I'm like, really? So we tried again. No, still crap. So I thought, well, well it's got to be the quality of the t-shirts. So I went to Gildan and I bought some really nice expensive t-shirts and you know what I got? Expensive crap. <laughs> So I thought, well, it, obviously it's not the t-shirts, so I'm going to go find a big kind of a t-shirt press. So I went on Craigslist and I found a big t-shirt press, 15 by 15, 550 degrees. You can make a pizza with this thing or a panini. So I get home with this thing and I put my t-shirt on there and I put my Walmart transfer on there and, and guess what I get? More expensive crap. It's even more costly now per shirt than it was in the first place. So I figured, well, it's not the shirt, it's not the press, it's got to be the transfer. So I go online and I find professional t-shirt transfers. You know, you cannot buy one professional t-shirt transfer to practice with. They come in a box of a thousand. So I got a thousand professional t-shirt transfers and I brought them home and I put it on there. And we worked for an hour and a half after psh, to get the paper off the back of the shirt. I was so ticked. I went to every t-shirt shop in town. I'm like, well, I did this and this and this. And this. Help me out. Anybody ever try to hire a coach who's unwilling to give you free advice until you pay them? Yeah, t-shirt people are the same way. Don't let them fool you. So I run out of the hope of getting anybody to tell me what to fix. And I call the guy that sold me the transfers. I'm like, look, I quit. I give. I'm done. I'm putting the Craigslist beefs back on Craigslist. And I just want my money back for my transfers. And the guy says, well, now I hear what you're telling me. I want to know, though, did you pop and stretch it? Did I? Who's he? What's it? Did you pop and stretch it? So I have no idea what you're talking about. I'm making T-shirts, not balloon animals. He said, no, no, you got to pop and stretch. He said, you have another T-shirt? I said, well, yeah, but these things are pricey. He said, you have another transfer? Yeah. Again, these things are pricey. He said, well, just trust me, and if it don't work, I'll give you all your money back plus some for your T-shirt. And I'm like, all right, if you're that crazy, money back plus. I like a $180,000 guarantee, 10x your, your refund. So I, I'm go for that. So he says, all right, fire up your press. So I did. Set to 375. He said, crank that sucker up to 550. I'm like, are you sure? He said, trust me. All right. So then he says, grab a t-shirt and put it on there. You got to preheat it. And I said, you got to what? He said, you got to preheat it. And I'm like, are we making cookies? So we put the t-shirt on there. We clamp it down. We pull it up. Look, no wrinkles. How cool is that? And the surface is hot. Hmm, that's an interesting idea. And so he says, now grab your transfer. I want you to put it on there. And I want you to pull that lid down and just leave it until I tell you to take it up. I don't know if you've ever used one of these things. They have a timer on them. So when you pull it down, after a certain period of time, it goes ding, 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 or it goes beep, beep, beep. I'm 10 seconds into beep, beep, beep. It's smoking. I'm like, uh, when do I lift it? He goes, well, hang on. Just put your phone on speakerphone and lay it down. Or you're going to need both hands. Okay? So I lay the phone down. I put it on speaker, and I, I grab hold of the handle. And I'm still waiting on him to tell me to lift it up. And I'm waiting. We got full-on smoke now. I'm waiting for the smoke detector. It's like you would think I was trying to cook, you know, timing it with a smoke detector. And he says, all right, now when I tell you, I want you to lift it up, grab both sleeves, pull as hard as you can. I went, what? He goes, go, lift, pull. 
So I lifted up and I grabbed both sleeves and I pulled as hard as I can. And that stupid piece of paper that we pulled out with tweezers, we pulled out with needle nose pliers, we soaked it in bleach and that transfer paper wouldn't come off of there. I grabbed those sleeves and I went boop and it went to the floor and I went, you've got to be kidding me. Now, he says, what's your, what's your image look like? I said, like this, because it's all stretched out at the top and normal at the bottom. He goes, now you got to stretch the rest of it so it's all the same. Now i got a 4X t-shirt. I'm fat, I'm not that fat. He said, it'll be all right in the wash. Here's what I want you to know, though. Look real close at your transfer. Do you have any white, shiny edges? No. Do you have any plastic-looking figures sticking on the top of the lake? No. What does it look like? Well, it looks like the threads were actually painted that color. He said, then you've done it right. Do all of them like that. Practice makes what? What? Permanent, not perfect. I could have been doing it wrong for years. I made a whole lot of expensive crap. And every time I adjusted the expensive of my crap, it just got to be more expensive crap. It didn't get any better. How many of you have told the same story over and over, and when you're done, you get blank stares? Yeah, don't raise your hand on that. That's an IQ test. All right, step number three, you've got to connect to win. What does winning look like? How many of you have ever told a story from the stage, and when you're done, you walk off the stage, and people are like, I know exactly what you're talking about. I felt like that. I was asked one time to share my testimony at a church here locally. It's a church of about four or 5,000 people. New Year's Eve, there's nobody else in the service, right? They're all gone home, all out on vacation for the holidays. And so I share my testimony when I'm done, because my testimony is I was molested at nine years old, so I spent 25 years addicted to pornography, and I brought that into my marriage. It's been 19 years now that I've had freedom from that, again, thanks to that wonderful woman back there. But when I shared that testimony, there were a whole lot of people who were like, me too. They didn't want to talk about it, they just wanted to know that they've been through the same thing. But the next level of win is when they come up and they're like, that story's just like my story. And then they start telling you their story. But the real win is when they take action and grow. The real win is when you tell your story and you walk off the stage and they go, I want to do what you did so that I can be where you are. John Maxwell says people approach him all the time. They're like, I want to do what you do. He's like, great, do you want to do what I did? Because I spent a whole lot of money, a whole lot of time. I got told no a whole lot before I got here. And if you're willing to do that, then you can do what I do. But you've got to be willing to do what I did first. I'm going to skip that story and tell you this. There's a song called Paint Me a Birmingham. Raise your hand if you know the song so I don't have to sing it. Save yourself. He says, paint me a Birmingham on the edge of town. Little white house. Porch all the way around. Put her there in the front yard swing in a cotton dress. Make it early spring. Miss Fantastic just told us, Miss Fancy, just told us about how important it is to have a vision. When your stories come together as a collection, and those collection of stories become a vision, that vision is a narrative, and it's a cycle. When you have a vision, you know what stories to tell. When you have stories to tell, they create a vision. And when you can deliver the stories that meet like the drill bit necessary to save the embarrassment of life, when you deliver a story that is the solution to someone else's pain and problem, you change the narrative in their life. And like my mother spent nearly 20 years doing, rewriting her own story, she could rewrite the stories of everybody else. That's my job. 
I help people tell better stories better so they can change the narrative of their own life and the lives of people that are important to me. Thank you for your time.